It's Farmer Friday on Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Darren Hefty along with my brother Brian. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today. And our phone lines will be open all throughout the show. It is Farmer Friday. We're taking your calls and questions throughout at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can also send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Brian, we've gotten so many emails, and many of them very timely with things happening in the field right now, with some myths that are out there, and also so, some real problems that, that farmers are seeing and trying to work their way through. So uh, do you want to start with that, or do you want to talk about anything else happening? Go ahead. All right. Uh, first one, uh, let's dive into the mailbag. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, we got to play some mailbag music. All right. Brian just loves that little music. Okay, uh, so this one comes from Sam over in Minnesota. He said, I'm wondering your thoughts on volunteer corn killer drift or maybe even volatility. Now, mainly concerned with clethodim. I'm curious, do these products move more than most people think? I've had a couple of guys in the area get in a pretty decent argument over this topic. When spraying in a 10-mile-an-hour wind, as you'd be allowed to by, by the label, would it drift more than other herbicides? How much damage can clethodim drift do? Will it create any major problems or yield loss, say, in the first 48 rows of corn or farther if the wind uh, blew down a valley or something like that? Just kind of curious. A lot of this clethodim is going out within list one, so the droplet size is not a problem. Guys are spraying big droplets, but just curious about the product clethodim. Okay. First of all, clethodim, no volatility. Quit worrying about volatility. That's not the problem. Here's the problem. Clethodim is lethal to corn. It's a volunteer corn killer in soybeans. And here's the thing you got to understand, because sometimes I think we forget this as farmers and as agronomists. There's a complete difference between killing a weed and damaging a crop. When that crop is the same weed that we're talking about in another crop. So this is where I'm going with this. All right, so it takes, and he brought up in his email, 10 or 12 ounces of clethodim they're throwing in when they're putting Enlist in. There's so much antagonism with the 2,4-D that it is really knocking down the performance of the clethodim, which is why you have to put a double rate in or even triple rate. But Here's where I'm going with this. You might say, all right, it's taking that full rate to actually kill volunteer corn. Okay, I agree with you there, or at least close. It probably only takes 1% of that rate to damage a corn plant out in a field. 1%. So is it possible that 1% of your spray could drift 48 rows in? Absolutely. If the wind's blowing 10, 12 miles an hour toward that crop... No question about it. You are going to have a little bit that's going to go 48 rows in. So please don't spray when the wind is blowing toward your neighbor's corn or your corn or anybody's corn. I don't care. Uh, 48 rows sounds like a lot, but that's only 120 feet. That's not very far at all. So yeah, if you got a road in between you, well, that helps an awful lot. But if you are right next to the the neighbor, right next to that cornfield, oh boy, that's bad, bad, bad news. So yes, that's the whole thing. So if it was something that would maybe slightly damage the corn, then it'd go in just as far. It'd still go in the 48 rows or maybe more. But when it doesn't hurt the corn a lot, then you usually don't have much yield loss. But that since the clethodim is so lethal, you can have yield loss way into the field. 
So believe me, we've screwed it up on our own farm, damaged our own crop, damaged a neighbor's crop, had neighbors damage our crop. We've been through this enough times and nobody's trying to do anything wrong, but I think we sometimes forget about how lethal clethodim is and how easily you can damage a corn crop, especially when you're going for 250 bushel corn. All right. Thanks for the question, Sam. Uh, this one comes in from Ryan over in Michigan. And he said, I'm wondering, does the longer that we go without rain and the longer we deal with these drought conditions and, and the stress that's putting on corn and soybeans, does that increase our potential to have disease or other problems? Uh, I would say no, but it... it, it is absolutely going to weaken the plant. The longer we stay dry, the less chance we should have to have disease. And the reason why I say that is you've got to have the right environment for disease, which usually for most diseases means you need humidity or rainfall or lots of soil moisture or a combination of the three. So uh, not so much disease, but other issues, certainly you're more likely to have uh, a bug or a like spider mite, or just any any type of damage to that plant, it, where it would be bad before, but the plant can kind of recover pretty well. The plant's not going to recover so well. Think about it like for you as a human being, when you're sick with one thing, and then you get another disease. Well, how easily does your body repair itself? Not very easily. So same thing with the crop. All right, uh, again, another one that's going to be a little longer question, perhaps. This one comes from Lane in northwest Missouri. He said, guys, we've been consistently growing 70 to 85 bushel beans, and we're happy with those yields, but what's it going to take to get up to 90 to 100? I've heard that soybeans don't fix enough nitrogen to achieve those yields on their own, so I'm wondering what my best option is, and at what stages in the crop have you seen the best return on investment, putting on nitrogen or other fertility uh, in season. Just curious, what products would you recommend? Uh, we've got irrigated ground, pH in the upper sixes, 4% base saturation K, uh, and a cation exchange capacity of 18. I'm considering using fertigation as a way to do Absolutely. these applications later. Absolutely. Uh, and by the way, we want to apply a fungicide and insecticide at R3. It would be a great time. We could also foliar feed. Yeah, honestly, if I had irrigation, I'd be spraying my beans with fungicide for sure three times. I'd make sure my base saturation K was closer to 6 or 7%, especially with cation exchange capacity only 18. But your fertigation comment, fantastic. That's, that's the direction you want to go with your leachables, nitrogen, sulfur, boron. But you really want to look at everything, not just NP and K. So when you're doing soil testing, look at your copper levels, your zinc levels, manganese, all the stuff. Because 75 to 85, great. If you're looking for more, yeah, I get it. Uh, best time for nitrogen, probably R3. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It takes balance to be successful in farming. Because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. When it comes to protecting your field from disease and environmental stress, there's Revitech fungicide. <laughs> and there's everything else. 
When it comes to unparalleled power, there's Revitech and everything else. And when it comes to speed and stamina, this is Revitech. And this is everything else. Nothing else comes close to Revitech fungicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. Get uniform control in your fields with trusted, hard-working Lucinto fungicide. Control the toughest diseases with a dual-mode-of-action fungicide that consistently outperforms the competition and field trials. Lucinto fungicide from FMC works overtime for lasting control to help improve crop yields. Talk about getting the job done. Visit your FMC retailer or lucinto.ag.fmc.com for hard-working control in your fields. Always read and follow all legal directions. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. That means we're taking your calls and questions all throughout the show. 844-44-AG-PHD. Let's head over to Wisconsin and start there. We've got Jim on with us. How you doing, Jim? We're doing pretty good. We're hot today, that's for sure. Oh my goodness, yeah. It's, it's been a warm one. Now, I know the guys over in Michigan are begging for rain. How are you doing in Wisconsin? Yeah, we're... We're, we're begging for rain, too. Fortunately, a little small spot here, which we're in, has gotten some rain, but it's been all, almost two weeks now since we've gotten rain. So, But we got a sizable amount. We got two inches in some places and an inch and a half, but it was a pretty small area. But the rest, yeah, don't have to go very far from here to see that the other people have not had rain. It's pretty, it's pretty dry. Now, what are what are you doing at this time on your farm? Are you starting to see beans flower? Are you out in in bean fields? Are you finishing up on corn stuff? What's going on? Uh I, I, uh, well, I finished earlier in the week. I finished the uh, another herbicide pass on the beans, and then uh, then I put uh, twenty eight on the rest of the week, and I'm done with that. So we're kind of at the point where. Uh, my question is fungicide now, I guess, on beans, where a guy should go or at what point in time and so forth. Yeah, so, Jim, do you normally have sclerotinia white mold? Yes, yep. Okay, is it just in Not, certain spots on the farm? Uh, Would you say it's or, whole fields or, or just parts of fields? Well, usually there's there's whole fields that I that are seem to be worse than others. Um, oh, wow. You okay. Know, yeah, see, we don't... That are, and, that are, yeah, here's the reason why I'm asking that question, because on our farm, we don't have that. I have zero whole fields affected. I have every single field affected to some degree in some area. Okay. But what we do is we go spot spray in Dura at R1 just where we've had white mold in the past. So it's about 10 to 20% of our acres. And that... 
really saves us on cost because Endura is $45 an acre. So if you said, wow. all right, well, I'm, I don't want to spend $45 an acre on whole fields, then I would go with probably something like Delaro Complete. Otherwise, if you were after white mold, one of my favorite combinations is Domark at a full rate of 5 ounces plus Topson at a full rate in soybeans of 20 ounces. If you do the two together, both full rates, you're only going to spend about 15 bucks an acre. But those are great white mold products. Delaro Complete, well, it's good on white mold. It's also great on a whole bunch of other diseases. So you've, you've got choices there on, on what you want to do. But with white mold, we'll usually tell guys, go spray at R1. You want to make sure you get off to a good start. You don't want that white mold taking over. If you said, ah, I don't have a lot of white mold issue. I'm not that worried about that this year. I just want like one shot. I'm just going to spray one time all year. That's it. My timing suggestion is usually late R2, early R3. So like once you've reached full flower and just as you're seeing the very first pods in the field, that's usually the best time for a single application, general plant health, general disease control, and that's usually the way we go. So if you want more uh, just plant health benefits like uh, a cooler plant canopy temperature, uh, less ethylene, uh, more antioxidants. The strobes are great. So you pick a product that's got some strobe in it. So whether it's Headline, Quadra, Savito, Gem, any of those things. So for example, Delaro Complete has three different modes of action in it. One is a strobe. And then the other two are mainly the disease killers, the SDHI and the, the triazole. So, or you can, you can mix your own, you can do whatever. There are lots of good products out there. I'm just saying uh, the strobes are much better at plant health, not that great on disease anymore. And it's the Trizol and SDHI family that are great on disease. And so we'll usually tell guys, hey, at least get a couple modes of action, uh, if not three. But then we also yep. have some guys that say, look, I, I, I'm all for spraying a fungicide, but I don't want green stems in the fall. I, it's a big deal to me. I just don't want that. If that's the case, then you leave the strobilurin out. So you use something like Lacento that's got a, an SDHI and a Trizol. So, I, I mean, we, 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 we can talk all day about all these different fungicides, but just understand yeah. there are really good ones out there that can help you, but none of them are going to solve your problem after you have a bunch of disease in the field. So you, you got to spray in advance, and that's the toughest thing, especially in a dry year, because you go, well, am I going to get rain? Is it going to turn out okay? Right. I, I don't yep. I don't know. I, I, I Your guess is as good as mine. I just usually look at history and even myself. I, I now this year have been thinking a lot about 2012. That was our last like super, super dry and hot year. We, we sprayed fungicide at least once. We did spray insecticide at least once and maybe even twice. But yeah, it, it ended up paying because we got rain the end of July and into August. We went two and a half months with no like significant rainfall on our farm. Two and a half months, no rain. And we still averaged, it was like 56 or 57 bushel soybeans. So if you luck out and get the rain late, a lot of these things can still pay. Yeah, okay. So would you, uh, when you spot sprayed, is this marked? GPS-wise, yep. so you yep. know exactly where it is? Or? Yep. Okay. Yep. What we do so is we look at you... our, yeah, we look at our historical maps in terms of yield map and everything. We download that into our system, and then we just make variable rate maps based on that. Based on, okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, you know, you don't have to go, like, super high tech because on our farm, for the most part, 
it's in the valleys. It's in the low areas. So if if okay. let's say I didn't have all the fancy stuff, I, I could basically do it for the most part anyway. It wouldn't be as accurate. I'd probably waste a little more money, but at least I could get fairly close. So some of these fields I have has been in corn for years just because we were dairying. Yep. We got out of the dairying just year. So I, I would suppose those are probably not as right. white mold susceptible right now. Yep, that's absolutely right. We had uh, the last year that we had, and I don't remember what year it was, but the last time we had a bunch of white mold on the farm, um, and granted, we did a bunch of things to manage it, and so we'd really minimize things. But we had one field that had been pretty bad, but it had been corn then for three years in a row. And boy, we did not see a whole lot out there. There was a little bit that showed up, but not much. So yeah, I love it when we're in corn and the mushrooms are coming up because then they're done. Uh, they aren't going to find a home as long as I've controlled the weeds because uh, corn won't host sclerotinny white mold. And so I love seeing those mushrooms in the corn with no host. Yep. Okay. All right. Thanks. You bet. Thanks, yep. Jim. Good luck out there. Yep. Yep. Bye. All right. You got Cooper on next. Uh, Cooper's in South Dakota. How you doing, Coop? Good. How are you guys? Good. I hear you've been getting some rain up there. Yes, we did get some rain last night, early into this morning. Outstanding. I don't know how much we got, but it was pretty good, raining pretty hard. Yeah, at this time yep. of year, we'll take anything we can get. So One of our guys, not all that far from him, said he got 2.7 inches last night. Neighbors just a mile away got nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty spotty right where we live, actually. They've had a lot of rain go right around our, like, a mile away they'll get rain but we just don't get that rain and we did last night which was good because there was a lot of corn that was really stressed really stressed unfortunately we've got some of that too it's it's not a fun thing hey talk to us about livestock operation i hear you're kind of getting into that on your own here and and what's it like having your own money in the game so i have an fsa loan that um farmers farm service agencies allows me to um get $5,000. And what I did with that this year is I bought three head of cattle and I bought them from my dad and they were in his feedlot. And so I had to do chores. I had to help clean the barn. I had to be there when we vaccinated. I had to do all of the stuff. Then I sold my cattle as freezer beef. And then I, um, once I did that, I collect all the money, pay off my loan and whatever that money I get back, I have for college. And I've done that. This is my second year doing that. And, um, yeah, it works out really good. Outstanding. Yeah, it's it's really fun. I really like the livestock part of our operation growing up, too. It's a great way to, to get young people started. And, uh, you know, FFA was a great opportunity for us. Um, Brandon and I weren't, weren't in 4-H because Dad said we were just too busy. We had too much stuff going on. But, yeah, it's kind of neat hearing about that and hearing uh, uh, how you got started. Uh, Cooper, we're up against a commercial break. If you want to hang on, we can chat a little bit more. Uh, but otherwise, thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. 
Visit ProsaroPro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. What does it really mean to provide the best crop nutrition? With AgroLiquid, you're getting a one-of-a-kind approach, one that caters to your specific agronomic needs. You're getting a crop nutrition plan that maximizes your fertilizer applications from every drop, all while accounting for your management practices and the products you're already using. But it's not just a product. It's peace of mind, knowing we've thought of everything. That's the AgroLiquid way. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. Morton Buildings has served the American farmer for more than 120 years. From manufacturing our own building components to constructing your building, Morton takes pride in being the industry leader in post-frame construction by providing a quality building and exceptional customer service. A Morton is built to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Your ripper is likely leaving 40% of the subsoil undisturbed. Hi, Greg Souter from 360 Yield Center. Dig behind your ripper and you'll see compacted mounds of soil left between the shanks. Traditional points just can't fracture the complete soil profile. 360 bullet ripper points are berm busters. The bullet's wide 14 inch wing shatters the full soil profile for better water infiltration and root access to nutrients. Get the full story at 360yieldcenter.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. Just before the break, we were talking to Cooper, who's a young farmer in South Dakota. Uh, Cooper, thanks for hanging on there. Sorry, guys. What was that? Oh, I just said thanks for hanging on through the break. You know, we were talking just a little bit about getting started in livestock. What are some of the other things you think? I guess if you have younger folks coming up, that are, uh, say, they're five years old to 12 years old, and they say, you know what, I really want to check this out. I think I might be interested in farming. What would you recommend for them? I would recommend to um, listen to your parents. I know that my mom and my dad, they give me a lot of advice um, through this because I know my dad raised beef cattle. And so he taught me everything I needed to know. He taught me how to feed the cattle, um, what we were feeding, and the protein and everything about the cattle. Um and also, you need to have patience because livestock don't—they don't always cooperate, and um, you need to be safe around them too. Because there's been some incidents that I know of people that 
you know, you got, they're just not safe and you need to be safe around livestock. Yeah, absolutely. So. How, how about equipment, Cooper? What, what have you gotten to run on your farm? What are some things that uh, your, your parents or grandparents have said, eh, you're not quite ready for that one yet, but we'll, we'll get you started here or there. Well, this last spring I did run our four wheel drive and field finisher and I worked most of our ground. Um, last fall I ran the uh, chisel and I did run the grain cart. Um, one thing that my parents quite haven't let me run yet, um, I've drove our semi a little bit in the yard, but they just, they, you know, it's a really big, big machine they talk about, and they're like, I don't know that you're really ready. And, you know, I'm okay with that because I, I can drive all of our other tractors and feed and the cattle and help in a lot of other areas. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And and you're right, the the semi-truck, I don't know, Cooper, I think I'd hold out and say, you know, maybe I should be 25 before I do that, because sometimes that job gets to be quite repetitive. Yep. You know, what What are you thinking, I guess, coming up? What What year are you going to be in school, Cooper, and, and what are you planning to do to, to keep furthering your ag education? Well, I'm in. Um, going to be in the eighth grade, which is the last year of middle school at our school. Um, I like to further my ag education and, um, you know, we have ag class at our school and I'm also an FFA. Yeah, I did, did, uh, Brian and I are both pretty active in FFA too. And that we found that to be really rewarding, both from the agricultural learning and the leadership aspects. And honestly, Cooper, it sounds like you're getting a lot of both of those. We really appreciate chatting with you today, Cooper. Good luck to you guys. Hopefully the rain keeps coming up there for you as well. Let's head out to Ohio. We got Trent down with us right now. Trent, how you doing? Doing good. How are you guys? Good, good. Uh, I I know depending on where you're at in Ohio, and Ohio is a pretty big state, uh, things vary just a little bit, weather conditions, soils, and so forth. What are things looking like around your farm? Well, it's interesting. We got um, a couple inches of rain two weeks ago, and it's raining today. So we've got plenty of moisture. But the corn is growing so slow because it's been so cool. Wow. we I wish we could balance out. We've been a little overly warm out here. <laughs> I'd love to share a little bit with yeah. that of that with you. But, yeah, slow growth on the corn. Okay, what does it look like? What are you seeing out there? Well, it's, we've got corn that we planted in mid-April that looks really good. It's, you know, V9 and um, – almost chest high and then we've got corn that we planted mid-may and it's a foot tall and it's just growing incredibly slow and you know it was at first we had a lot of purple corn because it got really dry and the corn wasn't getting the nutrients i guess and now it's green again but man it's growing slow hey let's talk about that purple for just a second what crop did you have last year in the field in that field so it was definitely it was definitely worse with the corn on corn uh, or, or where there's some compaction, some guys went in wet with a tillage tool mm-hmm. and you could really see the compaction causing, um, the purple corn, mm-hmm. but yeah, either that corn on corn or compaction seems to make some really purple areas. So how high are your phosphorus levels? Do you know, like you on your soil uh, test, well, what would it say? It, it varies a lot, but we tend to be from, you know, 30 to 60 parts per million. Yeah. Um, I, I, I mean, when we see purple in corn, that usually indicates to us uh, one of three things. One is fallow syndrome, where we just didn't have the enough soil microbes living 
Um, so a lot of times coming after fallow or after a, just a bad year, let's say it was flood, drought, whatever, we can see that. Um, and, and certainly you bring up compaction. I mean, we often talk about soil issues and stuff, but I mean, the other big thing is just flat out how much phosphorus do we have? So we used to see a little more of that. We've continued pushing the phosphorus levels higher in the soil and we rarely see purple corn anymore. So, I mean, if it's me, I'm probably going to the worst of those areas. I'm doing soil testing and, and then I'm going to evaluate it from there. And if you ever want us to look at it, we'd be more than happy to. Sure. I had one of my uh, fields was corn on corn, and it, the, the field has pretty high phosphorus levels, really. And I spread two tons of chicken litter uh, in, last fall mm-hmm. on the corn stalks. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, that one still seemed to be pretty purple. Hmm. Yep. Well, everybody's definition of high <laughs> seems to be a little different. For me, I like at least 100 parts per million of phosphorus and preferably more. Yeah. So, you know, but anyway, that, that's one of the things we just, we always talk about, hey, at least let's let's try some stuff, throw some different things at it, see what we see for differences. Because just like you talked about, okay, we saw a difference with corn on corn. Well, I want to see different rates of, let's say, chicken litter or different rates of starter fertilizer, different rates of, uh, let's just flat out build our, our soil P levels to 100. Maybe we need to be at 150. Maybe we only need to be at 80. I don't know. So, yeah, we just keep trying lots right. of stuff, and that's how we learn. <laughs> Being in the Lake Erie, Lake Erie watershed, yep. our uh, state officials wouldn't be too happy with your, your recommendations. <laughs> well, they, they, but keep it lower they do, but see, that's where we got to all understand how this fertility thing works. With phosphorus, it doesn't leach in soil as long as we're talking, you know, not pure sand and not like a thousand parts per million or something. But if you have phosphorus placed down in that six inch to 12 inch kind of range, and that's where like on our own farm, we do a lot of liquid manure and inject it down deep into the ground. Our soil test levels in the top six inches aren't as high in some fields, in a bunch of fields, as we have in the six to 12 inch range. So it's just about, it's really about placement. With nitrogen, that can move all through the soil profile, and I get that one. But with phosphorus, if we can keep it down in the ground and then we reduce erosion, then we don't have a lot of issues. The, the problem with phosphorus is when soil erodes, and you've got your top, let's call it half inch, inch of soil, the part that's going to erode, is loaded up with phosphorus, that's where we get some real challenges. And honestly, we've almost made things worse by going to minimum till and no till and putting high rates of phosphorus out on that field. There's no way to get it down into the ground. So every once in a while, that's why we talk here on the show about, you know, I realize it may be against your principles anymore, but in some cases, if you've got that top inch terribly loaded up, I don't know how to fix that without moldboard plowing or doing something to turn it over and put it down in the ground. But yeah, you bring up an excellent point. We all have to be careful about nutrient management. And that's where it just kind of, kind of comes back to understanding how it moves, where it moves, when it moves, so we can reduce that. Because quite frankly, I don't want to lose my nutrients. I want to keep them in the field, productive for me and making money for me. And then the other thing is if we can raise more crop, we remove more nutrients from the soil also. And again, that means less chance for any downstream contamination. Yeah, they so they actually do measure the tile around here, and they, they do get some dissolved reactive phosphorus through the tile but you know they're talking about one pound per acre per year of dissolved reactive phosphorus going to lake erie 
and they say we need to cut that by like 40% to reduce the harmful algae blooms. So it's really a small amount. Yeah, and then the other thing about it is which tile lines is it getting into? If if we have surface inlets, quite frankly, that's where we see a lot of the phosphorus getting down. Uh, but when you have soil organic matter even, soil organic matter releases phosphorus. So literally, you could apply no phosphorus in your field. You're still going to get some phosphorus coming out and coming available. Hey, Trent, we get to run, but thanks a lot for calling in today. Appreciate it. Good luck out there. Yep, good to talk to you guys. Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get more points with the end zone from Farm Shop MFG. In a 20,000 bushel bin full of corn, gaining three points of moisture adds the equivalent of 1,000 bushels to your bottom line. Call 712-520-6051. When I step on someone's farm, I feel like I've already walked a mile in their shoes. I spin spring on the tractor and fall on the combine. I see the excitement in my kids' eyes on our farm, but worry if there's enough of it for all of them. I make sure everything Case IH makes meets the challenges farmers face, because I face them too. My name is Ryan, I am a farmer, and I work at Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. Here at Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event Saturday, June 24th, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Join us as we head into the field for hands-on sessions covering everything from how to pull soil and plant tissue tests, ways to improve crop health, the importance of microbiology and farming, and much more. Plus, in our comprehensive guide to crop scouting, we'll explore both above and below ground in a variety of crops as we diagnose problems with insects, weeds, diseases, and anything else we may find. As we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in scholarships to eligible attendees, this day is geared more towards students and young farmers. But anyone with the desire to learn more about agronomy is more than welcome. So whether you're a college student or just want the good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Come to the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships Day. It's Saturday, June 24th on the Hefty Farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Learn more and register at agphd.com. Nothing but net. Win your soybean season with the fast knockdown and lasting broad-spectrum control of Elevest Insect Control from FMC. Take on army worms, stink bugs, soybean loopers, and more with the maximized ratio of premier active ingredients for better overall control of more than 40 labeled pests. Visit your FMC retailer or elevest.ag.fmc.com to up your game this season. Always read and follow all label directions. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. It's 
Farmer Friday and Ag PhD Radio. If you have an agronomic question or just want to talk about what's going on in your farm, we would love to hear from you today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can always send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Let's head up to North Dakota. Got Chris on with us right now. How's it going, Chris? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? We are doing well. We're doing well. Just uh, got a little shower today. Not a whole lot of rain, but it sounds like we got chances for some more. How are you guys doing on rain? You know, right where I'm at, it's not too bad to go 50, 60 miles east or west. They've been getting some more, but stuff looks all right. It always could use more rain in our country, but could be worse. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least uh, at least you're still hanging in there. How, how about the bugs? I heard a lot about bugs this year. You getting overrun with them too? You know, not too bad. We've done, we haven't had to spray any whole fields for grasshoppers yet. We have sprayed a few field edges and smaller areas, but nothing big. We don't have got any broadleaves like canola or mustard this year, so we're not too worried about any of those critters, but a few grasshoppers been the extent of our trouble so far, anyway. So, all right, so other than a few grasshoppers, what else when you say we're not too worried about a lot of other things what what are you worried about beyond grasshoppers that could really impact you this year well as always water is our problem not getting enough you know the only thing there which of course we can't control but you know with too much of that we get start getting some leaf disease and like our wheat or usually septoria is our problem and some kind in our pulses you know so far we haven't seen any of those just because We've been a little on the dry side, not terrible, but um, those are the main trouble we see yearly. You know, sometimes like flea beetles and mustard and canola are sometimes trouble here, but like I said, I don't have any this year. I haven't heard any reports about them being too bad yet for anybody that does have it. So at this point then, things are looking pretty good because you say normally you're real dry and this year not too bad. Um, so at, at this point, you're kind of thinking, hey, we, we could have a pretty darn good crop here. You know, it's on pace to probably be average or a hair better. We haven't been exceptionally wet, so it's, you know, it's good that we don't have the disease trouble bad. We don't have that yep. extra moisture we occasionally like. But, you know, it can always be worse. So all in all, you know, no complaints. <laughs> so what's, what's the worst weed issue that you'd be dealing with on your farm? Oh, boy. But, you know, we were a little later seeding this year, so we've had quite a few more flushes of pigeon grass than normal oh. that we've had to deal with, which isn't real hard to deal with. It's just there's quite a few of them this year, you know. Sure. Our probably perennial problem is Canada thistle. That seems to be one that we have to deal with year in and year out. Some yeah. hawk's beard, but that's not, that doesn't seem like that's as difficult to control as Canada thistle. Yeah. And then how about kochia on your farm? You know, it's, we have it, of course, everybody up here does, but it's mm-hmm. not hasn't overrun the place yet. We've got enough of a diverse chemical makeup on the rotation of the pulses and the wheat and stuff. We seem to mostly be able to keep that under control, you know, yeah. at least it's not overrunning us. Yep, yep. Now, you mentioned the, the hawksbeard, the narrow-leaf hawksbeard. Um, not mm. many of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with that. What crop does it usually impact you most in, and what do you use to control it? The worst one is probably the peas and lentils just because there's no in-crop options. And in wheat, it's you know fairly simple, like Express or Harmony or something like that will take care of it. But you can use, um, it's, uh, there's, it's Flumioxazin, it works pretty good on it. You can do a head of 
your pulses. You can't do it over the top, of course, but yeah, that seems to do a pretty good job of it. Yep, yep. All right, well, hey, uh, Chris, we'll pray for a little rain for you just at the right time, not too much, so you don't get that disease. <laughs> exactly, but uh, right. but anyway, hopefully it all turns out great for you this year. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, thanks. You guys, too. You bet. Good luck. Thanks. Let's head over to Wisconsin. Got Mark on with us right now. How's it going, Mark? Pretty good. How are you, Brian? Oh, this is Darren. Yeah, good, How are you, good Darren? identification, Mark. Yes, doing doing well, doing well. How are things going over in your part of Wisconsin? Uh, really well, you know, we've been really dry, but the crops look remarkably well. Um, so if we can get some more rain, uh, I think the crops are rooted down really well. So, uh, things are looking good. Outstanding. You know, at this part of the year, I'm always looking at, okay, what would I have done different? What were some decisions I made that turned out to be great? Uh, how about on your farm? Do you, do you see stuff already that, wow, I'm so thankful I did that. That's going to be awesome. Or do you have any that you want to admit that you'd say, you know, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I probably won't do that again. Um, you know, I used a Schlegel closing wheel behind our planter. And I think in a lot of cases, so I, I don't mean to be bad-mouthing them, but I think in some soddier, heavier ground, um, in no-till, I think we almost need to be using spaded closing wheels. We were out digging beans, and gosh, uh, you know, the sidewalls are a little bit, some of the beans are having a tough time coming up. So for our one particular farm or for my one particular case um i think we might have to move to a different closing wheel setup yeah i i'm kind of a proponent mark of guy needs to have several different ones just because conditions vary and so i'm kind of with you there might be good in this situation there's probably others that that it's not the best choice and tough to tough to find the right thing like that for for all situations how about the rolling of soybeans what what'd you think of that this year well we had a mistake on that one so we went through planted everything rolled them right after we planted them and we were out scouting and oh no we missed a couple fields and they're kind of rocky fields so i would say we're at late v3 or or, uh, late in the third trifoliate early in the fourth trifoliate how how tall are those beans maybe Four inches, five inches. Okay. Um, so I kind of don't know whether I should go in and roll them and just figure out there'll be a little bit of yield loss, but I won't hurt anybody's combine. Or <laughs> if we're just supposed to figure, well, you know, uh, I guess we'll just have to stand at the end of the field and empty the rock crap every round or something. I 
I'm kind of scratching my head on this one. You know, we get a lot of questions about rolling soybeans from guys that have no rocks. And you think, okay, if I've got rocks, it's it's kind of an easier answer. Yep, I like rolling. I like rolling then because we can push those rocks down and they're not a problem for us. We can combine right down to the ground and get all the beans. That's all good. But when... When you've got rocks and you haven't rolled, I mean, obviously we farmed that way a long time without the rollers, so uh, it can be done. But like you say, there's a lot of extra work and potential breakdowns at that point too. Yeah, I, I don't know. What's the latest brand you've ever heard somebody rolling beans? Not that big. Uh, I, I don't know, maybe half that size. But what's the latest you guys have ever rolled them? I would say the probably second trifoliate would be about the latest we've ever done. Yep. And that was another one of those screw-ups. The gang bolt on the roller busted, and we, you know, we tried to fix it as quick as we could, but we were trying to plant and had a whole bunch of stuff going on in the spring, so... Yep. Yeah, By the time we... It's how, it's how you learn these lessons. Stuff breaks down, stuff happens. Well, I've never done anything like this before. and yeah, I don't know, Mark. I don't yeah. have any great advice for you. But, yeah, when it comes to rolling, you just have to be careful with them. Plants are brittle, so that's why usually people will say V3 or earlier. But anytime that plant is brittle, you break it off, and you're in trouble because you've killed growing points. Well, I guess you have to let us know how it turns out, Mark. Good luck to you, and uh, and hopefully it turns out well. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back after this. Are you ready? We got the need. The need for seed treatment. Start your engines. Ready, set, Intego. Start your season strong with Intego Sweet Soybeans, Intego Fungicide Soybeans, and Intego Sweet Cereals OF from Valent USA. Ask your Valent rep about seed treatment solutions or visit valent.com slash Intego. Always read and follow label instructions. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um... We'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day. I'm Darren Hefty. Each summer on the last Thursday in July, we open up our farm to you so you can learn more ways to improve your farm. And the Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. This year, we're featuring guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, numerous panels of the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running in our demo area than we've ever had before. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drinks available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything is free. We know that you're busy and your time is valuable. That's why we do everything we can to make sure the Ag PhD Field Day is a very worthwhile investment of your time. So please, go to agphd.com to learn more, and be sure to register to join us at this year's Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. 
At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. The hard-working independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today on a Farmer Friday. We're taking your calls and questions at 844 44 Ag PhD. Brian, get this one in from Gary over in Minnesota. He said, Guys, I've got an established asparagus patch with giant ragweed and thistle. What are some things I could potentially spray to clean this up? Well, in the future, like let's call it after harvest or before spears emerge in the spring, preferably. Uh, you could do things like Roundup. Uh, I mean, that's going to take out both of those weeds, giant ragweed and Canada thistle in most cases. Uh, there are plenty of other products that can be used, like dormant only. You can use Valor. You've got plenty of pre's like Command, Dual, Metribuzin, Prowl, Spartan, Trifluralin, Callisto. So there are a lot of, lot of herbicides there, but quite frankly, not many of them are going to be very good on your target weeds. So what I would do post-emerge is I'm using chlorpyrrolid. So that'd be the active ingredient Stinger. I don't remember if Stinger itself, that name brand is labeled on asparagus, but I know that active ingredient is. And that would do a fantastic job on thistle and it would do okay on ragweed. So what a lot of people will do is they will then spray a second time or do some kind of premix with some 2,4-D. My fear is that the 2,4-D shuts the thistle down before the stinger or chlorpyrrolid uh, active ingredient works and kills the whole root system of the thistle. But, you know, if you want to try to do it in one shot, that's a, a decent way to go. Now, here's my other concern. You say this is a small patch, which means you're probably going to be doing this with a backpack sprayer or something. Well, many of these herbicides that I mentioned are pretty safe to human beings. Um, there are a couple that I wanted to call out in particular, and one is the chlorpyrrolid that I just mentioned. You've got to keep that out of your eyes. Okay, so make absolutely sure you're wearing goggles and you are keeping that low to the ground and then you're fine. So it's not like, you know, a big cancer cause or any of that kind of stuff. It's just you got to keep it out of your eyes, okay? Uh, and then Gramoxone, you absolutely do not want to, nor can you legally spray that with a backpack sprayer, four-wheeler, anything like that. So forget about Gramoxone that I mentioned earlier. Uh, basically, you can definitely use Roundup after harvest, early in the spring, uh, but right now you're probably talking chlorpyrrolid and maybe some 2,4-D thrown in to help you out a little bit on the ragweed. Awesome. Good luck. Uh, that asparagus is pretty tasty, so want to get as much production as you can. 
Got Dave on with us now over in Iowa. Dave, you're just a little bit east of the tar spot area. I see six counties already have, have spotted tar spot now in the state of Iowa. Uh, are you nervous about that, or, or what are you up to right now on your farm? Uh, yeah, that's that's a pretty big concern, actually. We've, we've dealt with that disease uh, probably the last five years, and uh, depending on when it's come in, it, it's been... Uh, it's given us some pretty good yield loss in, in year, certain years, so we're keeping a close eye on it. Yep. How about the soybeans? How are the soybeans looking your way? <laughs> I'm spraying soybeans right now that, that I should not be able to drive through, but they're just a little over ankle high, so it kind of gives you an idea of how our, how our soybean season's going. Oh, no. Yeah, you get... Well- yeah, but the the good news, Dave, that we we were just talking about this a little bit earlier on the show. Like in 2012, we still it super hot. We had no rain for two and a half months. We still ended up with really good beans. The height of the soybean isn't nearly as important, and quite frankly, it isn't with corn either, unless you're going for silage. But when we start talking about grain, I'd actually rather have a shorter plant for corn. Maybe a little shorter than uh, well, I certainly don't want it head high like sometimes our beans will get. But yeah, I, I mean, there's a long way to go with soybeans. Soybean yields determine much later than corn, so we're going to hope for the best on that soybean thing, and hopefully it'll turn out, because our, our beans probably look about the same as yours. Yeah, I, I guess the biggest concern for me right now is that um, weed control. I mean, we're, we're late in the season, and we're a long ways from closing these rows up. So, I agree. Yep. Um, we, we had, we've had a dry spring, so a lot of the pre's didn't work the way they should have, and and we're dealing with higher pressures now on this post pass. So yeah, uh, my biggest concern now is just holding those things back till till we get to canopy. Yep, we've been having this debate a lot on the show here over the last couple of weeks because many guys have called in and wrote in saying, "Well, should I include my group 15 because I don't have rain in the forecast, so I don't know if it's going to work real fast." But my comeback is, yeah, I agree with you there. But the flip side is, if it's going to be a long time till you reach canopy, I know it is on our farm. I got to have something out there that that lasts for a while. So, yeah, we we threw a group fifteen out. I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, probably now, and we we we've had a little bit of rain, but certainly not enough to get it fully activated. So I'm hoping that kicks in here one of these days. They're talking overnight. We might get half an inch, inch of rain. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, that's that's where I'm at. We're throwing, we're we're putting a group group fifteen down. We're spraying enlist beans, so enlist liberty yeah. and uh, group fifteen with yeah. it. Um, and we're supposed to get. I think the rain is coming through. You it's supposed yep. to get us yep. like Saturday night, su- Sunday morning. So they're saying anywhere from a half an inch to an inch and a half, which would be our biggest rain since these beans are planted. Yeah, uh, I think I think they were planted about the eighth of May, and we got just a little shot of rain after that, yep. three quarters of an inch to an inch, and then. It's been a tenth here and there, but as dry as we are, we get a tenth overnight, and by nine o'clock the next morning, the dust is rolling. So, oh, I know uh, we've had the same thing. Yep, yep, yep. But you brought up weed There's control. There's a lot of us in that boat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of us in that boat right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I looked at the uh, drought monitor map that came out yesterday, and ooh, it it doesn't look very good. But anyway, we're we're gonna hope for the best. But you brought up weeds, and that is one of the big things in these dry conditions. Uh, I mean, and we're in a drier area of the country than most people, and so we've experienced plenty of droughts over the years. And all I know is in a drought year, weeds hurt you more than normal, and insects hurt you more than normal. So 
yeah, uh-huh. you're you're dead on. I mean, just trying to make sure we're managing those things. That's one of the steps toward raising a better crop. But like I was saying earlier in the show, like back in 2012, I just remember it got to about this time of the year in early July, and a lot of people said, "No, nope, I give up. I'm gonna I'm gonna get nothing. So I'm not gonna spend any more money. Let the weeds go. Let the bugs go." And that, that was a disaster. And then we got late rains, yeah. and where we treated, we were in good shape. So yeah, I'm I'm still hoping for the best here. Yeah, you know, you mentioned insects too, and and Iowa State Extension just sent an alert about the Japanese beetles starting to show up. And as I'm spraying this field, I'm seeing one occasionally. Now I'm yeah. put, not putting an insecticide down yet, but nope. it's something we're going to have to keep an eye on because those those ex- uh, populations will explode pretty quick. Yeah. Yep, and it, we believe it's the right move to not put an insecticide in when you're not seeing much at all for bugs because what happens is if you spray an insecticide, you can flare up spider mites by killing off some beneficials. So, yeah, it's probably good to wait a little while here, but but I'm with you. we got to kind of pay attention to those things. Yeah, this is going to be def- definitely be a management-challenging year, that's for sure. <laughs> But what year isn't a management challenged year, Dave? I mean, it, it it seems like every year there's a, there's something or other. I mean, last year we had a couple of these derechos move through, and we've had flooding, we've had drought, we've had all kinds of stuff in the last few years. But you know, everybody says, well, that's how we get the average. It's like this year, our temperature is actually average compared to normal. But that average meant we were way below normal early. Uh, like this winter was horrible, like our worst winter ever. And the last month here, we've been. 15 degrees or more above normal almost every single day but now it's average <laughs> so sure. yeah we're always dealing with these extremes well, yeah this this has been a weird year i know a week ago monday northeast iowa had frost and there it was hard enough to kill some crops up there so i mean that's that's highly unusual in this end of the state that's you get for farther sure. north and maybe but not not in the, not once you get south of minnesota yep yep All right. Well, hey, Dave, great talking to you today. We'll hope you get some rain down there and uh, maybe we'll get a little bit and we'll keep sending it your way. That's right. Take your share and send the rest on, (laughs) will you? All right. Thanks, Dave. Good luck. Sure. Thank you. Yep. We'll see you. All right, Brian, I had a comment that came in and I thought this is kind of interesting too. So we we do talk a lot about uh, plant nutrients and soil tests and tissue tests and just understanding nutrition. And it is obviously a huge input expense every year for farmers. Uh, got this one in for Mr. W. He said, hey, guys, really appreciate you talking about the fertility. I just wanted to share a story. I tried to build soil zinc levels by two parts per million by spreading zinc sulfate. I ordered five pounds of actual zinc per acre. They actually put on 8 pounds of a 10% zinc product. I got 0.8 pounds of zinc. When I called them out on it, uh, well, you can imagine how that went. I just want to let you know it's important to keep educating people to shut down dishonesty like this and theft in the ag fertilizer industry. Well, that, but, you know, a lot of times there are misconceptions and things, too. So I hate to jump to conclusions real fast because when you say, oh, I want this much zinc, (laughs) they've probably never heard of that before. So maybe they thought it was your mistake. But anyway, uh, yeah, thanks, thanks uh, thanks for the feedback. Thanks for listening today to our program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.